Amen. Amen. That's great. Hey, why don't you uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, just get your hand up, we get a Bible into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, for sure put your hand up and take this home as our gift to you and turn to uh, Galatians chapter 1. We're continuing the series of the book of Galatians. As you're turning there, I, I don't know whether it's because it seems like winter just will not stop, but I was daydreaming this week about places I would like to be, and they were all warm, right? I, I just sort of thinking, wh- where would I like to be? I, the, all these beaches I can remember being at or beaches I've never been to that, that I just wish I could go there and I would like to be there. And then I started thinking, well, where are some places that I wouldn't want to be? And, and sort of thinking of that, and I was actually reading about a place this week, and it's, it's in Hong Kong. It was called the, the Kowloon Walled City. It's not around anymore, so if you wanted to go there, you can't go there now. They tore it down 20 years ago. But this Kowloon Walled City, what it was, was it was an old military base kind of thing, and, and, and people moved in, and they're like squatters, and they all moved in, and, and they moved into these, it's kind of a, it looks like a condominium sort of setup, but it didn't have any uh, running water, any of that kind of stuff, and people poured into this place. In fact, it says that there were 30,000 people living in a 6.5-acre space. Picture that. Police wouldn't go in. Crime was rampant. 30,000 people in six point... I I wouldn't even go to the mall at Christmas because I don't want to be around that many people, right? I'm not talking like a mall in the city. I wouldn't even go to the Huntsville Place Mall because I just know there's too many... 30,000. And it's a place I don't want to go. And all this to say, there, there are places I want to go, there are places, some that I don't want to go, and, and even saying that, there's an ultimate, I want to go to heaven, I do not want to go to hell. Okay, I heard one amen, there are others that kind of go, well, I'm weighing my options, right? Just, right? I want to go to heaven, I do not want to go to hell, and heaven and hell, they're very real places. And heaven is this amazing place that Scripture talks about. It's beyond what we can even comprehend. In fact, Scripture just sort of gives us little glimpses of heaven. And, and there's only a couple people in all of Scripture who actually saw heaven before they died. Paul saw heaven and came back and said, I mean, I, I can't even talk about it. John saw heaven and he could barely communicate what it was. I, I think it's, it's so amazing. We could barely imagine it. But I also think we can't imagine how horrible hell will be. And, and hell is just as real. And I, people will say, well, listen, I, like I'm, I'm okay with Jesus. Like I'm cool with Jesus, but I'm not so okay with this idea of hell. Well, listen, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Hell is a very real place. We'll be separated. People will be separated from God for eternity. And, and, and here's the thing we can know, though. We can know that we can have as our destination. We can say, I don't only just hope to go there, but I am going there. You can know that your destination, your eternal destination is heaven when you put your hope, your faith, your trust in one name, in Jesus. Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name by which we are saved but Jesus' name. Jesus himself said in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And as a kid growing up in church, the kind of churches I grew up in, we were really good at scaring the hell out of people, right? That's kind of what we did, right? I remember even as a kid, I remember, remember as a teenager going to these things, maybe you grew up in the same kind of church as I did, you remember these, we had these things called Fright Nights on Halloween, 
and we do, you bus in a bunch of youth into this field, and then you'd invite all your friends from high school, they come, and they would have these amazing makeup artists would come in, and they would, they would create these realistic, gory scenes of like car accidents and, and drug overdoses and all these just horrible things. And at the very end, you cram all the youth into one room and you say, hey, listen, if you don't want to end up like that, if you don't want to go to hell, then pray this prayer. I mean, everybody prayed the prayer. I prayed it every year. I'm like, I'll do it again. I just don't want to go there, right? But listen, Christianity is so much more than just a way to get into heaven and stay out of hell. Listen, heaven is amazing, but when we take the gospel, when we take grace, and we just make it only about getting out of hell and into heaven, we miss the power of the gospel in our lives today, right now. And I, I want to go to heaven. I want to be where Jesus is. Jesus is the goal. That's why heaven is so great. It's because Jesus is there. And, and it says in Scripture, though we see like through a glass dimly, we kind of get an idea of Christ in heaven. We'll see him face to face. And I'm looking forward to that. But not only that. Yeah, I don't want to go to hell, but, but I don't only not want that. I don't want to live in defeat while I wait for heaven. I don't want to be trapped in addiction. I don't want to be buried in guilt and shame. I don't, I don't want to be overwhelmed with, with depression. I don't want to be filled with bitterness and cynicism. I, I don't want to be trapped in, in sinful patterns in my life. I don't want to not be close to Jesus right now. And so many people come to church and they're, they're asking these questions. And they're, they're really asking this, can I ever be set free? And when we give them this answer, hey, I got nothing for your freedom now, but when you die, you'll go to heaven. We choke the power out of the gospel, out of grace, out of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, you are not just given a free ticket to heaven, you're also given, given new life, you're made into a new creation, you're on a whole different journey, you now have the Spirit of God within you. God doesn't just change your, your destiny, God changes your identity. The gospel doesn't just get you into heaven with Jesus, the gospel says that right now, Jesus comes out of heaven to get into your life. That's the gospel. It, it doesn't just change where you're going. It changes who you are now, today, when grace explodes into your life. When you understand the good news of Jesus Christ, it changes you now. So if you're taking notes, here, here's our first point this morning. I meet grace when I meet Jesus. I meet grace when I meet Jesus. If you've got your Bibles open to Galatians, let's jump right in. Verse 10 of chapter 1. Paul says this, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And Paul's saying this, he's writing this letter to this church, remember? Because he planted this church, they got going, they, they heard the gospel, but then right away this group of Judaizers, they're called these religious guys, come in and start convincing the church, hey, 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 Jesus is okay, but only as a first step. You, you got to go further than that. And Paul's stepping in going, no, no, no. This message of the gospel, I, I did, I'm not doing this to try to, to please people. I'm doing this because this is what the truth is. It's, it's not about your rituals. It's not about good works. It's not about living a good, clean life. It's not about the, the special books you might read or the courses you're in. It's not about special prayers or, or all that stuff. He says, no, no, it's Jesus. 
As some have said, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And they're coming in to add to it. And he's like, no, no, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. He goes, that's not how it works. He goes on in verse 11. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying? Going, hey, listen, this whole idea of grace and the gospel, I didn't make this up. I didn't go to somebody else to have them make it up. I met Jesus. And that's what he's saying. Now, now, Paul, that's what he's called now. He actually used to be known as Saul before he met Jesus. He went by a different name. And Acts 8 tells us all about who Paul was when he used to be known as Saul. He was this guy who was ravaging the church before he met Jesus. He's in someone who didn't just, you know, he just didn't like Christians, so he wrote mean blogs about them. No, no, he hated them. He, he threw Christians into prison. He, he had them executed. Acts 9.1 says that he would breathe out threats and murder. Just an angry man. His whole life filled with this, this religious rage against Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, we read the story of, of Paul meeting Jesus. He's on the road to Damascus. He's been sent there by religious leaders because the church is growing in Damascus. They so, hey, go there and take care of that. Throw them in prison, have them killed, whatever it takes, Saul. So Saul, on his way to Damascus, while he's going there, Jesus shows up. A bright light shines, knocks Paul off of his horse, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, Paul meets Jesus. Jesus introduces himself to Paul. Like we said last week, remember, we don't find God. God's not lost somewhere, but God will find you. And Jesus comes to Paul, calls him by his name. I mean, that's just a picture of grace. If you think about it, this guy, Saul, his, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. That would be his full name so people knew who he was, this Saul of Tarsus. And Jesus calls him out by name. Now, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about names and how important they are to us and, and different ways that names are used. I mean, I think of my own name, my name, Kai, but spelled K-A-J. Thank you, my mom and dad, for that one, right? I remember in school, teachers always say, and your name is Kai. Oh, no, it's Cads. They spelled it wrong. No, no, it's actually Kai. So I know, I know when someone doesn't know me because they go, hi, Kaj, or if they think they're very worldly, hi, Kaj, right? <laughs> and, and so it's great, though, because when telemarketers call, I always know, right? Like, is Kaj Valentine there? I'm like, no, he's not, <laughs> right? It's awesome. Like, so if you don't know my name, I know that you don't know who I am. But here's another way that people use names. People can use full names. Where you get your, your full name. Now, my name is Kai. I have two middle names named after my uncles, Kai David Douglas Ballantyne. When I heard Kai David Douglas Ballantyne, I was in big trouble, right? Any moms here? You can, you can, right? You do that? Do you ever do that? Right? If I heard my full name being called out, it's because the party's over, you've messed up royally, and mom's ticked. I remember one time, okay, this is the, okay, my name's called out for this one. So it was, I was about seven years old, we were living in, in a trailer park, don't judge me, we were living in a trailer park, and uh, anybody here, are you old enough to remember what underoos were? Okay, if, you don't, if you're not old enough to remember underoos, underoos were basically underwear and an undershirt that looked like a superhero's uniform, okay? So they had like Wonder Woman, and I didn't have, that wasn't what I had, but they, um, so I had these Spider-Man underoos, but I also, okay, it gets better, I loved, 
the Lone Ranger. Okay, late 70s, this, the Lone Ranger was like my hero. And so I had like the hat, the white hat, I had the, the mask, I had the little plastic uh, badge, I, I had um, the boots, and I even had like the six shooters that shot caps. Remember those caps, the red? They like, all wound up, you give me a roll of those, a hammer and a rock, my afternoon is booked, right? Those things were amazing. But I had the cap guns, so I put this whole outfit, so I put on the underoos, I put on the, the picture in your mind. Sorry if you are picturing your mind right now. That's awful. Um, and so I was like the lone Spider-Man. I don't know who I thought I was. And I walked through the trailer park, going door to door, dressed like that, knocking on the doors. And when the door opened, I'd point the guns and I'd say, give me your money. <laughs> Man, I, now it's a trailer park, so I didn't get rich, but I, I, I made enough money for junk food, that's for sure, until as I'm coming back down around one of the roads closer to our trailer, I hear my mom call out, Kai David Douglas Ballantyne! Someone ratted me out, right? <laughs> the money scheme is over, I'm in trouble, my mom yells out my name. Here's the thing, here's what I'm saying. There's so many people who, who wonder how God views them. And, and if God were to call out to you, there are some here you, may, you might think, Man, does God even know who I am? Does he even know my name? Well, will, he, will he look at me and think, well, I kind of recognize the face. I know a bit about you. Could you remind me again what your name is? Others have this view of God that he's standing in heaven with his, his hands on his hips and he's yelling out at you your full name because he's so angry with you. And, and you might be able to go, well, look, I get that God loves me, but I don't know if he likes me. Paul's transformation is such a great picture of grace. Jesus calls him by name. In fact, even greater than that, look at verse 15 of chapter one. But when he who had set me apart, that's Jesus, when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. Man, God didn't just know Saul's name. God knew everything about him. He was on this rescue mission for Saul before Saul was born. Listen, for you that's here, God knows who you are. If you don't know Christ at all, he's pursuing you. If you do know Christ, he continues to pursue you with his grace. Knows who you are. And Jesus reaches down and grabs a hold of this guy, Saul, and, and God's grace says this, that God chose you. Not because you were awesome. Like how Moses says in Deuteronomy where he says, listen, God didn't choose our nation because we're the best and biggest nation. In fact, we're the smallest nation. God chose us because of his promise to us. God chooses you because of his love for you. It's, it's the gospel that says this, you're more sinful than you ever would dare admit, but you're more loved than you ever could imagine. That's the gospel. Jesus reaches down, grabs a hold of Paul, and he's been changed. Changed by Jesus. You know you've met Jesus when there's a change. He's found you. Maybe you're asking, like, why Saul? Why would he have known Saul all this time? Why would he have been pursuing after Saul? Of all the people, why would Jesus reach down and grab him on that road? And listen, this is so significant. Here's why it's so important, because, because listen, there are some here right now, and you've been battling through something your whole life. 
maybe struggling with addiction or, or, or bitterness or crushed by shame and guilt or controlled by your anger or trapped in some sort of sinful pattern and, and you just can't seem to be set free from it. Listen, out of all the billions of people on earth, Jesus brought you here this morning so he could call it your name. Here's Paul looking for freedom wherever he can find it. Now, he didn't just pursue it by being this murderous, angry guy. And sometimes we pursue freedom by running as far away from God as we can through sin. I'm going to seek freedom and sin. And at last for a while, doesn't it feel good for a while? It feels like freedom for a while, but eventually you're trapped in it. Now, that wasn't just Paul. Paul just didn't do that. He was also seeking freedom in religion trying to be the the best he could be, trying to be the greatest person he could be. Look at verse 13. It says, for you've heard of my former life in Judaism. He said, before you met Jesus, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. What's he saying there? He said, listen, I I wasn't just a, a sinful guy. I was a religious guy. I was the best at it. Paul was the guy who he would sit in the front row every Sunday. He would carry the biggest Bible into church. He would serve and harvest kids every week. He would give the most money in the offering plate. Paul was a Pharisee. In fact, he says in Philippians, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, like one of the best Pharisees. If you're a Pharisee, you would have memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, memorized. I'm doing the read through the Bible program this year. I gotta tell you, man, I hit Leviticus, I slowed down. I, I, I can barely read through it. Paul memorized it. Looking for freedom, but he, he couldn't find it. He, he couldn't find freedom in sin, couldn't find freedom in religion. And listen, this is so important for us. This letter is written to a church, to religious people. And I gotta tell you why. Yes, the gospel is good news for everyone, but Paul's writing this to remind a church because we so easily, so quickly lose the gospel. We think, yeah, the gospel is, is that first step that a lost person takes to find Jesus. That's great, but it's, it's just the first step. Listen, Paul's writing saying it's not the first step, it's every step of your walk with Christ. It's not just the the ticket to heaven and then you do a bunch of other things saying, no, no, the gospel is everything. It changes everything. When you meet Jesus, your life is changed. In fact, our second point this morning is that my, my life is completely changed by grace. My life is completely changed by grace. I would say this, if if someone says, Listen, I know the gospel, but my life's really not changed. I'm going to be as gracious as I can. You don't know the gospel. Like, I, I know I've been forgiven, but this, I still carry this guilt and shame with me. And I, I know that God chose me, but I just don't have any energy to follow him and, and do what he's called me to do. Listen, the answer isn't do more, study more. The answer is to understand the gospel deeper. Do you know the gospel? You know the truth of who Jesus is, who you were apart from Christ, and now you've been rescued and redeemed. It changes everything. Paul here, after he meets Christ, says this in verse 16. 
the end of verse 16, he says, I, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. It says he, he stayed there for a while. It says, verse 18, then after three years of being in Arabia, just being a nobody out in Arabia, he said, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. That's another name for Peter the disciple. So he visited Peter, remained with him 15 days, saw no one other, no other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. So he goes and he visits Peter. Now that word visited, actually, this idea is that he's going to, to get to know him better. He wants to get to know Peter, and he doesn't have a lot of time. He's got 15 days, and what he's doing, he's looking to get with these guys who had been so close to Jesus for three years, and he's connecting with Peter, and for 15 days, I can just imagine what they did. He's going to Jerusalem. Can you imagine Peter's like, hey, let's go look around. Let, let me show you some stuff. Let, hey, hey, right here, this is where the, the, this man was lowered on a mat, had never walked in his life, and Jesus says, get up and walk. And then maybe you take him into the upper room and say, this is where we celebrated Passover together, where Jesus changed the whole meaning of Passover, where, where now he said he's the Passover lamb, and, and that we would have freedom through his blood and his body given for us, and we didn't get it, but that's what he was talking about, and and then maybe Peter would take him out to the garden where Jesus prayed. Like this is where Jesus called out to the Father and he prayed so intensely that he, that he came out and he was sweating drops of blood from the intense amount of prayer he was praying. And, and maybe Paul would say, Peter, th that's where you slept, right? You guys were all like asleep. Let's shut up, Paul. Let's keep going, right? I don't know. And maybe he walks to the outer part of the garden. He goes, and, and this is where Judas came in and all the soldiers came in and, and they were going to take Jesus. And Peter was like, and I took out my sword and I took off this guy's ear and it landed right there. And Jesus picked it up and put it back on the guy's head. And, and, and then, then maybe they'd walk up to Golgotha. And Peter said, you want to know about, more about Christ? There's the cross he was hung on. Those people right now that they would be looking at being crucified, this happened to Jesus. But if you're doing the tour, where would you go next, right? I would end the tour at the tomb. Hey, Paul, come see the tomb. This is where, where John and I ran that morning to get there, and John says he got there first, but my sandal fell off, and I would have beat him, I fashioned him. Anyway, it says that in John's. Anyway, he gets to the tomb, right, and he would have shown him this tomb. He said, this is where Jesus was, but he didn't stay there. That Sunday morning, he was raised from the dead. Paul would have got to know the gospel even deeper. And Paul says this in verse 20. He says, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Because this is the story of me meeting Jesus and being changed forever. See, this is why I preach the gospel. This, this being changed, look at what it says. He goes on in verse 21. I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea, that are in Christ, and they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Paul's saying, I was changed. There is no sin that's too far for God's reach. Sin is no match for grace. The road of sin is not too far off the map that Jesus can't find you and change you. But in the church, we miss grace in a different way. I think like Paul, we think the way to deal with our brokenness and our sin is religion. That's the answer. Like, like my religious duties are what gives me my, my place with God, and it's Jesus and. and 
Paul writes this letter and says, no, you're adding to it. That, that, that's not it at all. He said, listen, there's this beautiful masterpiece that God creates, this, this Rembrandt of the gospel, and you keep pulling out your own little paintbrushes and try to add paint to it. That's not the gospel. Think of it this way. Think of all the little things we add to the gospel. So, well, I've got to do all these things. Think of it like this. Have you ever been to Chuck E. Cheese? If you've never been to Chuck E. Cheese, it's awesome, by the way. If you've never been to Chuck E. Cheese, here's the premise of Chuck E. Cheese, okay? Bad pizza and a lot of games. And you, what you do is you, you pay money, get these tokens, you go around and play all these games like skeet ball and, and that, and, and if you do really well at it, you get tickets come out of the, 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 the video arcade games. And then you gather up as many tickets as you can, right? So if you are just amazing at whack-a-mole, you're, you're getting a ton of tickets. And your kids, right, they, they get it, because it is kids. If you see an adult carrying a bunch of tickets, it's not that great, right? You want, like these kids, right, and they're, they're carrying all these tickets. And then you go to this cool machine, right? And this machine eats the tickets and tells you how many you've got. My kids, they don't even need the video games. They just want that machine. Just brrr, the ticket's going in. You get a receipt, and it tells you how many you have. And you're like, 795 tickets. Yeah! You go up to the counter. They have all these amazing prizes. You're like, 795 tickets. What do I get? And you're looking up at like these amazing like remote control planes and, and, and video, video games, all this stuff. And they go, wow, almost 800. You get a plastic ring, right? It's, it's just it's just the worst thing ever. Like they're worth hardly nothing. They don't, they don't actually get you much at all. And you can get thousands of these things and, and you still are just getting, oh, a bouncy ball, great. Here's the thing though. Not only are they worth very little in Chuck E. Cheese, if you're ticked off over the transaction of I'm not wasting 800 tickets on a ring, I'm taking these with me, and you leave Chuck E. Cheese, and then you start walking around thinking, well, I'm going to use these somewhere else then. And you pull into Tim Hortons, you're like, I'll have an extra large double-double. Here are my tickets. <laughs> you're not getting a coffee. They're, they're not just not worth a whole lot inside Chuck E. Cheese, they're worthless outside. Listen, what Paul was so fired up about in this letter is that, that in the church, we so celebrate those with the most tickets of good works. And we, we say to those outside of grace that don't know Jesus, man, you need all these. We, we say inside, that we start to celebrate like, oh, wow, you read your Bible every day this week? Here's five tickets. You, you, serve, you serve as an usher? Here's two tickets. Harvest Kids, 30 tickets, right? Whoa, you went to see a rated R movie. You owe me five tickets. Oh, it was about gladiators. Sorry, here's two back, right? And then we, we play this little game with, with, with these tickets, but, but grace says this. Grace says that God gave his only son, and whoever believes in him has eternal life. Whoever believes in Jesus What's that mean to believe? Believe is different than just knowing something. If I've got a chair in my house that I know everything about it, I know what it's made out of. I know how much weight it'll take. I know how much it costs. Believing's more than that. It's not just even loving it. I could love this chair. I could sing to it. And then it's just the greatest chair ever. Listen, when you believe in it, it's when you sit down and put your weight on it. Do you believe in Jesus? Not know about him. Do you put the weight of your life on him? Do you say, this is everything for me? I'm not resting in anything else except Jesus Christ. 
And so what, what scripture says then is, listen, listen, if you're outside the circle of grace, Jesus in the middle, there's a circle of grace. If you're outside, all the works aren't going to use you. It's not a matter of, amount of tickets to get you in. It's grace. And if you picture the circle of grace and you've got, got a couple people outside of it, maybe you've got somebody that's so far away from the circle. I mean, they're like the, the most horrible person you could ever imagine. And there's somebody else really close to the circle. They've grew up in church. They're just the nicest person ever. They, they serve in their community. Listen, it takes the same amount of grace for both of those to get into the circle of grace. It took the same amount of grace to reach both. Nobody came in holding tickets saying, hey, hey, here are these tickets. They're worth nothing. We are so far from Jesus. It took his death for us to be given grace. We're broken. We're without hope. We're outside of grace. But then listen, here's the, here's the word for those in the church who, who are following after Christ, who know Jesus. You're in the circle of grace. Say, you've rested, believed in, following after him. Listen, inside that circle of grace, it's still grace. And you think about those who you just, I mean, you know those ones who are like just barely saved? You know, I'm talking about like, here's the circle, and they're on the inside edge of that circle. And I praise God that our church is full of people like that. Love it. In fact, it was just a, a while ago, I was talking to somebody who just, we're, every Tuesday night we get together, walk through the Word together, and when he came to Christ, <laughs> he said, hey, remember, remember that half we were talking about? He goes, yeah, like, you used to talk about communion being for believers only, and that if you don't know Jesus, communion's not for you, and it doesn't really mean anything for you, but if you know Christ, it's a remembrance of his death, and, and, and he came up after the one service, he said, hey, I gave my life to Jesus this morning, and I, I got to take communion for the first time, and it was effing awesome. Right? No. And, I, and but he, then he goes, he said, oh, no, I just ruined it. I'm like, well, no, not, not really. Right? Well, he's worried that if I, well, then I'm not in. No, you're in. Listen, we tell people all the time, you heard in Jessica's testimony, you don't clean your life up to get to the cross. You come to the cross as a mess to be cleaned up by Jesus. Now, listen, am I saying that it's okay? Hey, hey, keep up with the language. Keep up with your lifestyle. It doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Once you know Christ, you're going to want to pursue him more. And as a church, we want to walk alongside people and say, hey, let's pursue Jesus together. Let's grow closer to Jesus. Because here's the thing, you can't pursue Jesus and sin at the same time. It doesn't work. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to invite people into the circle of grace, people who have found Christ. Jesus found them, saved them, rescued them, changed them, and then go, got to build up some tickets now. When you start doing that, you start comparing yourself to other believers, you take your eyes off of Jesus. He's our perfect standard. He's the one we're going after. When you start to condemn others, hey, hey, man, you're not living it. You've got to live more like me. Look at how many tickets I've got. Just do what I'm doing. No, no. What do we want to do? We want to point them to Christ because this is what the gospel says. This is where church people struggle the most. We are all beggars pointing other beggars to where there's bread. That's it. We're pointing people to Christ. Now, does this mean we're not going to walk alongside people? Does this mean holiness isn't important? No, holiness is super important because why? We want to be like Christ. We want to be where he is. I want to be near him. And so what do we want to do? We want to point people to Christ. But we need to remember something, though. It's by grace alone that we're there. Someone said a while ago, they said, man, without harvest, I would be in jail. And I said, without Jesus, we'd all be your inmates. We want people to grow to Christ. 
The gospel, though, is what drives that pursuit of Christ. It isn't this, here's what we get caught up in, I will obey so that Jesus will love me more. That's not it. Jesus loves you, gave his life for you, you respond in obedience. Do you see the difference? One is, I will do to get, and if life doesn't work out well for me, I'm pretty mad at God. Listen, you're serving out of the wrong motive. We serve because we've been saved, redeemed, changed, and you're so blown away by the fact that Christ chose you and changed you, you'll do anything to serve him. That's how the gospel leads us. In fact, it's amazing the gospel doesn't just stop there, though. It doesn't just change us. It would be an amazing story if we just stopped there and said this guy named Saul met Jesus and this murderer was saved. God's grace even met him, but it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 15. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me, so he meets Jesus, why? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You aren't just saved to get to heaven. God said, no, here's what I'm gonna do. My grace will so change you, you're on the team. You're on the mission. And so that a a church that's gospel-soaked, that's filled with grace, what's it look like? It looks like a lot of people on mission. It's not one or two paid people and then a couple of the people who are like really fired up, they got a ton of tickets so they serve. No, it's all of us together on mission together. And will we still have things like people in red shirts to be ushers and greeters? Of course we will because you want to have some systems but here's a gospel-soaked church that those ushers and greeters aren't it because all of us are so, uh, so exploded by the gospel that we want to reach out and greet and meet and care for everybody. We have benevolence teams that that look after the needs that are coming in our church, but a a grace-drenched church, we all take care of needs. We reach out. We we don't need an outreach program. What's our outreach program? Our outreach program is this. You've been changed by the gospel, and you reach out with the gospel to people around you. You're on mission in your, your workplace. You're on mission in your family. You're on mission in your school. Jesus changes us to use us. He did it here for Saul, changes him, and, and, and then not right away he doesn't use him. He goes away for a few years in Arabia. He starts serving and preaching, and, but he's not even known. He goes, they didn't even know who I was. I love that. God, God will use you, but he's going to start where you are. So don't look around and think, well, I need a bigger platform if I'm going to serve the Lord. I want to do great things for the Lord. And God's saying, just, just bloom where you're planted. Just serve where you are. Just sing loudly into the mic and let God control the volume. Let God use you where he has you. Parents, live out the gospel to your kids. If you work, live out the gospel in your workplace. Students, at school, with your family, with your friends. And and as you do that, as you step out, God's going to use you more. And here's the thing, though. It won't be easy. says here that he was going to preach, um, preach Jesus among the Gentiles. In Acts 9, God actually says to Ananias, this guy that, that meets Paul, he goes, I'm going to use him, but I'm, he's going to be wounded greatly. He's going to suffer for my namesake. So listen, when you step out on mission, it's going to be hard. When you step out in your workplace to stand up for Christ, to live in a different way, it's going to be hard. Students at school, it's, it's not going to be easy. When you're, you're saying, you know what, actually, I, I don't do that. I want to do this. It's going to be difficult. 
When you live out the gospel, it, it's not going to be easy. But here's the thing. You're going to be able to live in a way that you'll have walked through the valleys of the shadow of death and you'll see God at work with you. It won't be easy. You're going you're to get wounds. He said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Paul's going to suffer greatly. But those wounds, they, they humble us. They shape us. The church needs more wounded healers. People who can say, listen, I've been through this. I, I know what it is to suffer through shame. Let me walk with you because God's walked with me through it. The church needs more people who walk with a limp because they've seen God work in the tough times. So you meet Jesus, you're changed by Jesus. Our last point is this, you then step out into that grace. Let God use you. Step, step out. You, we don't just get saved to, to sit back, hide out, huddle up, wait for Jesus to come back. No, we're sent out. If God's called you, he's going to change you and use you. So my question this morning is this. What this morning would stop God from stepping into your life with his grace and you being transformed? Sometimes, because we don't want to. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, you know what, that sounds great, but I would rather continue to, to seek after freedom in the stuff I'm seeking it after. I'm going I'm to keep pursuing it in, in relationships. I'm going to keep pursuing it in this, this stuff I'm, I'm going after. And, but maybe there's some of you here, and you go, no, I know that's, there's no answers in that. I know that the, my freedom's found in grace, and, and God can change me because I was lost, blind, enslaved. But what still stops us? I think there are a few lies we believe. Here's one lie that'll stop us where we believe this. It's just the way that I am. And we believe these labels that are put on us where that's just who I am. I'm just an angry person. That's just who I am. Imagine this. Imagine you were to leave here this morning to go get into your car, but as you're walking to your car, some yahoo pulls around the parking lot, just hits you full speed. You go flying, land down, look, and all of a sudden your arms pointed the wrong way. People are gathering around going, hey, are you okay? Your arm, it looks really bad. Like, I, it's not looking good. You're like, it's okay. I just had some rough times. It's just what it is. <laughs> and then, then you go to work on Monday. You're like, hey, like, I think I can see the bone sticking out. You should probably get the, no, you know what? It's just the way it is. Listen, we would never do that physically, would we? But we do it spiritually all the time. God presses in on our life, and whether it's a Sunday morning service or just in our time with him or a small group, when we feel God pressing in and we say, that's just who I am, Lord. I've just always been angry. I guess I'm just a worrier. I've just always struggled with standards. I'm a control freak. I have an addictive personality. And we, we take these labels and wear them like they're true. We wear them, I'm an alcoholic. Who gave you that label? Jesus didn't give you that label. It, it might be where, you're all, where you are right now, who you are right now, but it's not who Jesus wants you to be. He has greater plans for you to transform you. So, so we believe this lie, well, it's just the way I am. Or maybe the lie goes deeper than that, and it's not just the way I am. Another lie is, well, I was born this way. My grandpa was this way, my dad was this way, and so I'm just this way. I was born this way. Sometimes those labels who are slapped onto us by others said, this is how you always have been because this is how you were born. But listen, listen, when you were born, you used to wear diapers. If you're 
over a certain age and still wearing diapers, that's a problem, is it not? You're here as a 20-year-old, I was just born this way, this is how I do my business, right? I, my kids, one of, one of my kids was a biter. Anybody have biters when they had kids, right? One of my kids, man, she was a biter. And I don't want to, I'll just make up a name to protect the innocent, McKinley. Well, that didn't work. So um, <laughs> there was one day where McKinley was on a slide in somebody's house. They had like a slide inside the house and another kid got up on the slide to, to butt in front of her. So what did she do? Latched onto the kid's face. Just full <clears throat> bite, right? Now, now imagine, and you're all thinking, what a horrible parent you were, right? Imagine though, you just say, that's how I was born. You go home tonight and your spouse grabs the remote to turn the channel. You don't want them and you just latch onto their arm. Sorry, sweetie, that's how I was born. Doesn't make sense, does it? Listen, before Christ, we were all born into sin. But if you know Christ, you're a new creation. You've been born again. We don't have to follow this. Well, that's how I was born. It's not who you are now. You've been born again. You have a new nature. Or lastly, maybe believe this lie. I can just never change. There's no hope for me. I don't think this will ever change in my life. Listen, do you think people looking in on Paul, this guy steeped in religion, killing Christians, do you think people looked in on him and maybe thought, that guy's hopeless? There's no chance the gospel could ever reach that guy. In fact, in Acts 9, if you read about it, after Paul met Jesus, he was blinded, and then he was told, go into the city, there'll be a guy there who will heal you. And he, God gets this guy, Ananias, and says, hey, this guy Saul's coming to meet you. I want you to heal him because I'm going to use him greatly. And Ananias actually says, are you kidding me, Lord? That's my loose translation, but that's really, he's like, Lord, Lord, are you sure? Do you not know who this guy is? I hear he kills Christians. He's not writing, he's not putting Facebook comments that are mean, like he's killing us. Here's the thing, Paul had done a lot of things. For sure, it looked like Paul would never change, but he met Jesus. Meeting Jesus changes everything. And you know what, it's true, you can't change, but, but here's a deeper truth, Jesus can change you. You can live in victory rather than defeat. Jesus steps into Paul's life, knocks him off his horse, and then he says to him, get up and go into the city. I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. For us this morning, Jesus says, listen, I've done all the work, but I want to ask you now to get up. The rest of this chapter here, verses 15 on, you read, you just keep saying where Paul says, I did this, I went here, I saw this person, I went over here, I served God this way. And listen, I believe there are some here even this morning where Jesus is saying to you, get up and step into grace. Get up out of the addiction. Get up out of the legalism that's got you bound in religion. Get up out of your anger. Get up out of that marital problem. You don't need to live in this. As the worship team comes up, Jesus said to Paul, get up and go. And Paul had to put some effort into it. So this morning, if, if you felt this before, if you're feeling this morning that God's pressing in on you and he's pressing in on, a, on maybe it's a sin or maybe it's something you're carrying that you don't want to carry anymore. And he's saying, listen, we need to get past this issue. We, we need to deal with this habit, this sin, this attitude, this struggle. Listen, as God presses in, it's not condemnation. It's God stepping in in grace and love to rescue you. 
And he's saying, get up and go. Say, listen, if you need to confess sin, confess it this morning. If you need to, to grab somebody, say, listen, I need accountability because I've, I've been going in a way I don't want to go, then grab somebody. If you need to, to ask for counseling because life has been difficult, then ask for counseling. If, if your marriage is struggling, you need to step out and say, we need help for someone to speak in this because I don't want it to go down this path any longer. I want it to change. I believe Jesus can change it. But he's saying to you, get up. Go. In Galatians and in Acts, you read in Acts 9, Paul was called to get up and go find some believers. Get into community. My prayer is this, that our church will be filled with Ananiases. People were those who are broken, those who are lost, those who are struggling. And I don't just mean struggling with the stuff we normally think of, but maybe for you, it's been, I've been so steeped in religion, I don't even know the gospel anymore, that our church would be so filled with Ananiases that those kind of people would be welcomed. Where broken people, religious people can come in and find a group of people not carrying tickets around, but living in grace where they see grace lived out, where they see hope. The gospel is more than just getting yourself into heaven. It's our whole life being changed. And as, as we sing today, as we end off in worship today, today is the day. Today is the day where you don't, you don't need to live in it any longer. You don't need to live outside of what is yours in grace. You don't need to live in the struggle, in the addiction, in the pain, in the shame, in the guilt, in the, in the sin you just can't seem to get over, in the anxiety, in the anger, in the fear. I'm not going to say that, that it's guaranteed you will change immediately this morning, but I will say this. I guarantee that Jesus will begin the work today. He's not through with you. He has a plan for you no matter what your past is. Don't let your past be the prison that holds you back from stepping out into grace and all that's yours in Christ Jesus. So this morning, as we stand together, as we sing together, would you take the time, if you need to repent, to repent. If you need to grab somebody, to grab somebody. If there's something that needs to be forgiven, listen, if you can't forgive someone, again, it's the gospel you need to get a hold of. You need to, to get deeper into the gospel. If you have hurts that you need to really, then let it be this morning. Let this be a morning where we celebrate grace, where we're changed by grace and sent out on a mission of grace. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. It's so hard for us to grasp and to, to really grab a hold of because it seems so unbelievable that although we are so lost in our sin that you rescued us. That Christ, you died for us in our place to, to make us new. And now, Lord Jesus, may our hearts and our lives be given to pursuing you at all costs, to running after you, to seeking you, to following you, to living for you. Not because we think it earns anything, but because we know everything's been purchased already. And we respond to that grace, to that good news. And I pray this in Jesus' name, the name that sets us free. Amen.